taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Hello, and welcome to Authentic Living. This is Andrea Matthews, and today we're talking about a famous statement made from the Bible, from Psalms 46, verse 10, that says, Cease striving and know that I am God. Now, this is not a lesson in Christianity. This is a lesson in metaphysics. But we're going to use that as a premise for our talk today. And uh, we're going to be talking about what that statement means. First of all, we have to think about the idea of ceasing to strive. And that's one of those things that in, in America, at least, that seems to be counterintuitive because we are taught from knee-high to a tadpole, as we say in Alabama, to strive to strive after our goals, to strive after making friends, to strive after schoolwork, to strive after um, college work, to strive after a career. And in all that striving, sometimes we still make lots and lots of mistakes. So let's talk about that. And we're also going to talk about the second half of that sentence, which says, and know that I am God. The interesting thing about that story is that it goes along with another story, which goes along with another story. John 10, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, has a story in it about the Jews being very angry at Jesus. And they're about to take up stones to stone him. And Jesus says to them, I've done a lot of good works. Which one of the good works that I've done are you going to stone me for? And they answer that they're not stoning him for good works, but for blasphemy, because, quote, unquote, you being a man make yourself a god. And Jesus answers them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? When he said that, he was quoting another psalm, number 82 and verse 6, and here's what it has to say. I say, you are gods, son of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, you shall die like men and fall like any prince. What was going on just before that verse was that David was sort of praying for people that were weak and needy, and the answer to that prayer was, you are gods. There's a very interesting thing that happens when we cease striving. We begin to know that we are God. If that is true, if it's actually true that within me there is a divine, then how does not striving help me get there? What does that mean? Well, striving is based on a concept we talked about several weeks ago, which is the concept of duality. Duality is a concept that says, I am separate from God, I am separate from the divine, however you see God, and therefore I have to strive and scramble and scratch and scrape to get back into his or her or its presence. Okay, so what we're talking about is that striving is based on duality. Duality says, I'm separate and I must get back to what I'm divided from. And that concept has been the basis of lots of other things that we've talked about, and I would challenge you to go back into the archives and listen to that particular radio um, show. Uh, It's called Duality, and and get an idea of what I'm talking about there. 
the idea is that duality makes us believe that we are not God. So when we say, cease striving and know that I am God, actually what we're saying is cease striving to know that I am God. Now, there is another way to look at that verse, to be sure, and many, other people, many people do look at it that way. That verse very often is intended to mean, don't worry, I got your back, signed God. Um, and that's cool. That's, there's nothing wrong with that belief. But I'm, I'm checking into something else here today. We're talking about a metaphysical belief that we have the divine within us. If that's true, then cease, ceasing to strive is how we get there. The other way to say that is be still to know that I'm God. Okay, so how does, how does a person be still? How, do we, how is stillness factored into our very busy lives? Well, the first thing that comes up is everybody says, well, meditate. That's how you get to stillness. Very often, for very many people, get it, meditating is an exercise in futility in which they're trying very hard to make their brain stop chattering. And so that's the work, that I'm striving to make my brain stop chattering, and I don't get to stillness that way. So anytime I'm striving to make something happen, whatever it is, then I haven't been still. And so stillness is a, is a process. It's a process of unfoldment where we become more and more aware of a deep inner place inside of us where we are still. It's not something we, ha- we, we work for. It's not something that we uh, strive after. It's not something that we attain. It's not something that we uh, get to after many, many years of meditation, although many of us experience it that way. It is something that's already there. It's something that's already there inside of us. What we do through meditation is we find it. And we find it by just um, sitting. You know, in the, in the Buddhist faith, we say we sit. We sit, and that's what we do. We sit. Well, just sitting doesn't get it for lots of Americans. So... You know, we can sit and think about all kinds of things. We can have a fantasy. We can think about yesterday's argument with a wife or a husband. We can think about something we're worried about with one of the kids. We can think about uh, uh, the job we've got to do today, how, what time is it, how, what day of the week is it, all kinds of things. What happens when you first wake up in the morning? Do you scramble to get up in the morning and say, what day is it? Oh, it's Tuesday. Oh, well, it's Wednesday. I've got something to do today. Today I've got to do my radio show. <laughs> What do we say? We say, I'm cutting off what I learned in my unconscious as I was sleeping, and I'm tuning in to my day today. When the unconscious was active, we were out of the way. When we were asleep, we are out of our own way so that the unconscious gets to appear before our eyes in all kinds of shapes and forms and dreams. That means there's something in there even when we're not present. And if that's true then stillness can also be in there when we're not even tapping into it. So it's important to understand that, that when, when, when it says cease striving or be still to know that I'm God, what it's saying is know that you already are still inside of you and that because you are, you are also God. You are also divine. Okay, so how do you get to this stillness? Well, in fact, it turns out that it is a process. It's a process of of listening to yourself. It's a process of just listening. 
And in that process, all kinds of things happen. We hear all kinds of things. We hear the, what uh, the Buddhists call the monkey mind, which is chatter, 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 chatter all the time. We hear our own internal critic. We hear our own internal editor. We hear the voices of what we call in mental health the committee. All the people on the committee have something to say, and the committee is made up of all the voices of the people who were significant to me in my life, who made a difference in how I see myself. So the committee speaks up, and it has things to say. We hear those voices. We also hear the wind blowing, maybe. Maybe a fan is turning in the room. Uh, Maybe we hear the, the little buzz sound that goes on with the fluorescent light. Maybe the lights are out, and we hear the silence. Maybe when we hear the silence, we begin to tap into that little place inside of us that is already still. And so that process is one of just sitting and listening to whatever is going on. One of the ways people uh, sometimes will hypnotize people is by having them listen to a focused, uh, or focus on listening to something in the room that's the clock is ticking. And so you focus on the tick, 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 tick of the clock. And what happens is suddenly you're in the stillness. What happened was because you were focusing on the one thing, all the other things couldn't get in the way. And that's the way it is with sleep. We, we literally let our brains relax enough to, to just go down into a, another state, an altered state, where we can see all kinds of things that we can't see when we're awake unless we know how. What I theorize is that there's a steady stream, a river, excuse me, a river, if you will, and that river is always flowing, and the flow is always carrying all kinds of things in it, branches, pine cones, um, sweet gumballs, um, maybe there's rocks on the bottom that it's tripping over. There's all kinds of things in that river, and if you can... Be still, what happens is that river comes into our awareness. So the being still doesn't mean work at being still. It means find your stillness. And that is a very important distinction to make. Now, we've talked about this only as if it's a meditation tool, and certainly it is. But there's also that listening that happens all during any given day. We're challenged by our world to not listen to that. We're challenged by our world to listen only to the world. So the world says, don't listen to yourself, listen to me. I've got something to say and I want you to do whatever it is that I want you to do. I want you to focus on whatever it is that I want you to focus on. I don't want you to be listening to yourself because what yourself might tell you is not what I might tell you and I need to control you. Okay, no, it doesn't say that, literally, but that is what it's saying. So, We have all kinds of external voices. We've got parents. We've got siblings. We've got children. We've got uh, friends. We've got lovers. We've got partners. We've got um, um, bosses. We've got coworkers. We've got politics. We've got um, uh, things that we're responsible to in terms of our charity work. We've got all those voices clamoring for our attention, and they all want to say, come do what we need you to do. Have you ever told somebody, that you couldn't, you didn't have time, or you di- couldn't, or didn't want to do something that they wanted you to do, and worried afterward that perhaps you hurt their feelings, or perhaps you they were mad at you, or perhaps they had less respect for you, any of those things. Then you know the internal pull 
that is in us all the time to respond as the world would want us to respond. And so those voices are in there. They're clamoring for our attention and for us to be able to tune in and hear those voices. They absolutely are there and they need to be heard, but also to be able to tune in to our own inner voice at the same time. We live in a black and white world. We live in a world that says either or. Either you're still or you're busy. Either it's black or it's white. Either it's wrong or it's right. Either it's true or it's false. Either, you know, we have, it's day or night. We have so many polarities. It's one way or the other. So what we say is that we, if we're still, we can't be moving. And that's just not true. What's really true is that we can move and be still at the same time. Just like it can be light and dark at the same time just like we can be inside of ourselves and outside of ourselves at the same time. Just like gender is not as specific as we once thought it was. So you see, all the things that we've thought, how we've perceived life, make a big difference in how we see ourselves and how we see our capabilities. If I believe that it's not possible for me to find time to be still, what I'm saying is stillness is both irrelevant and and something I cannot accomplish. We're going to be back in just a few minutes after the break to talk about stillness and about knowing who we are right after the break. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, 
killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who will work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Okay, so last session, last um, segment, we talked a little bit about what it means to be still or to cease striving. And what we concluded was basically that we don't have to work to be still. What we have to do is know that that stillness is inside of us already, and all we have to do is find it. But that process of finding it in, in the Western culture that we have all agreed to create is difficult. And then we have to ask ourselves, why do we agree to create that? Well, I think the reason we agreed to create that is because we are afraid of our own stillness. We're afraid of what we're going to find in there. In part, that's because of duality thinking, where we think we're separate from God, and so we think that we're bad people and we have to strive to be good, and we're not ever really going to be good enough because the the higher being that is divine is always looking down his um, gendered nose at us. And so... We don't necessarily see that the stillness that is in us is just already there, and it's not something that's good or bad. It's just the stillness. And it's a very peaceful stillness. It's a very quiet stillness. And for some of us, that would be boring. When I worked in the, mental, in the uh, drug and alcohol field many years ago, uh, one of the things that I heard many times from recovering addicts and alcoholics was that they were bored now with their lives. There was no chaos. There was no high. Um, of course, the high had gone away for many years anyway. They were just using it. By the time they come to, came to treatment, they were just using to stay okay, and they weren't getting high anymore. But they, they, there was no chaos, and there was no high. So they, were, they felt that life was boring, and they had to get used to life that is just life instead of life that is either chaos or high. And that's basically a, a shadow of the whole of our society. We all have that sense that we're supposed to be in chaos or drama or we're supposed to be really working hard towards some goal and striving to ascend into some uh, higher place or we're just not good enough, we're not worthy enough. And if we're not doing all that, then we're kind of bored. And, and because of that belief system that we have, we also have created all kinds of other things as a collective, including diagnoses which are ADD and ADHD, some of those things that are just so busy, there's no time for stillness. So we're a little bit afraid of stillness, and, and because we are, we avoid it. We avoid it by being busy, but we also avoid it by saying we can't get it. We can't get to stillness because it's just not possible. Every time we sit down to meditate, the monkey mind comes up, and we just can't shut it off. 
and I think that in part comes from a belief, like we said, that it is not, uh, we have to strive to get to stillness instead of recognizing that it's already there inside of us and we just have to go to it. One of the things that I try to help people do as a therapist is to try to help them get to that place that's still inside them. It's what we call centering. The center is the place where we, we consider that place to be a peaceful place. I'm grounded there. I, I, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I'm not scattered. I'm not uh, leaving myself behind in different places all over my life. I'm here with me. And that is essentially what the instruction is in Psalm 46.10 when it says, Be still and know that I am God. The instruction is, Be with your stillness. And that's what being centered is. It's being, being with being present with yourself. But we can talk about that being present, and we're not real sure exactly what that means. It's like getting behind your own eyes. It's like getting behind your own ears. It's like being inside yourself instead of always being outside yourself, looking at yourself, judging yourself, judging your life circumstances. And that's the difference. When we can learn to look at life from behind our own eyes, we have begun to know how to center. And that is not something we're taught as we're growing up. Most of us are taught to look at ourselves from other people's eyes, to look at ourselves from a place that is outside of us, to judge ourselves as we think others would judge us, to look at our clothes in the morning as we get dressed and say, oh, they're not going to like that, instead of saying, do I feel good in this? And it takes us time to figure out that we have a right to feel good in what we're wearing, to pick out creatively what we want to wear. That's just one of the myriad ways that we can be inside of ourselves instead of being outside of ourselves looking in. When we're externalizing our lives, we make our lives about what's outside of us. When we're internalizing our lives, we're making our lives about what's inside of us. But our society has taught us that to be making our lives about what is going on inside of us is to be betraying the social ethic that says if you're inside yourself, you're selfish. What I say is that if we're inside ourselves, we're true. We're not false. If we're outside of ourselves, we're very often false. We're presenting a false image to the world of who we really are, and we're presenting a false image to ourselves of who we really are. And so we're living outside of ourselves instead of living inside of ourselves. So would it be selfish for me to be truthful? Would it be selfish for me to be present with myself as I live my life? No. What actually happens when we begin to be present with ourselves is we become more, not less, compassionate. We become more available to other people because we are more available to ourselves. But we don't understand that on this side of a decision to be present with ourselves because we don't get it that uh, we don't understand the experience we're going to have once we start being present with ourselves. We have to take the risk to go ahead and uh, uh, work with being present with ourselves before we can experience what happens when we do it. And then we get it. And then we go, oh, I see. Being present with myself isn't selfish at all. It's, it's a way of me being truly me in the world. So this idea of being centered, this idea of being present with myself is in part what we're talking about with regard to stillness. 
And as we walk through our everydays, not just when we meditate, certainly meditation is a, is a good, healthy stress reduction practice. It's also a way of getting in touch with the inner divine. It's also a way of getting in touch with your authentic self, which I think those two things are synonymous. But, uh, yeah, it does lots of things for us, but it's not the end-all and be-all. Meditation is not all there is. There's also life. And some of us tend to get so blissed out with meditation that we're not really living our lives. Um, and we can get just as unbalanced that way as we can get unbalanced by not meditating. So it's important to keep it in perspective. So meditation is a tool. It's not the end-all and be-all. What is the end-all and be-all is life. And living life is what we're here to do. And so in, it's important that we recognize that while we're living our lives, we can still be in the stillness. And that's a concept that's very hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's been very hard for me to wrap my mind around it at times as well. So I'm not telling you something I haven't struggled with myself, but it is true that if, that if I'm living my life, that doesn't mean I have to be so externalized that I can't be still. And like I said earlier, there is a river that runs, a, a sort of current that runs beneath all of our everyday experiences. And we can tap into it. And I would, I would ask, challenge you to do this right now. Close your eyes for just a moment. And just, just be as relaxed as you can be and sort of let your mind slip. Just let it do whatever it's going to do. And what, if you do that for about five minutes, what you'll find is that your mind starts being in a little fantasy, being in a little dream, being in a little um, uh, altered state. I did that just yesterday, and I remembered while I, was, while I was in that altered state, it's kind of the state just before you go to sleep, that I remembered something I'd forgotten to do. And, of course, I came right out of the state and did it, because so I, I knew if I didn't do it then, it wasn't going to get done. Then I went right back to what I'd been doing before. It's important to recognize that our mind knows all kinds of things if we'll just let it rest, let it be still, let it go into the stillness. One of the things that Carl Jung discovered in his research was that we could remember things that we never knew when we're in that altered state. And in, in his case, the altered state was the state of sleep where we're dreaming. And in those dreams, we can remember things we never knew. Now, that's a pretty amazing phenomenon. He had a word for it. It's one of those ten-penny words that I can't say very well, so I'm not even going to try. But, it, but what it had to do with was the fact that we could remember things that we had not at all experienced in this life. Now, was that an experience from a past life? Could be. Was it, was it a collective archetypal memory? Could be. It's very different for each person, and there's a different sense that goes with each one of those dreams, each one of those memories. So it's we can't say, oh, it's this, and that's it for everybody. We can only say what it would be for a particular person in a particular situation. What I'm saying here is that there's something inside of us that knows far more than we think it knows, and that is that place where we are still. It is the place of stillness. And that's where we get to the idea that beneath it all, when we are still, we can know that we are God. We can know that we are divine. The word God is one of the, the name God is one of those things that I'm going to loosen up the bolts and screws on for a little while, and we'll be talking about that over the next segment as well. I'm going to start right now, though. The idea that God is one certain thing, and it has one certain image, just will not fly. Because if you sit down in a room with five people, 
what we're going to find is that each one of those people has a different image of God. They may have beliefs that resonate with whatever religion they come from, but their image of God, the one that they have in their head when they communicate with this divine being, is very different. You know, we have this collective idea uh, in, in some uh, basic Christian religions that God is uh, sitting up there in heaven in a long white robe and a long white beard and he has long white hair and, and he's got his one hand on this big look, book of life and the other one on the arm of the chair and he's looking down on the earth and he's judging us. That's one collective image of God. But it's definitely not the one that we want to resonate with when we think of God in terms of warmth or love. We're going to talk more about how we define God right after the break. This is Andrea Matthews with Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. 
We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Hello, and welcome back. We were talking in the last segment about how we can cease striving and know that I am God, and now we've started talking about who God is to you. And what I would say to you is that it's different for each and every person, just like I am different to each and every person who perceives me. I'm not the same Andrea, even though I'm the same Andrea to me. I'm not the same Andrea to anyone who sees me because everybody sees me based upon their own perceptions and based upon their own needs and whatever stuff is in there that's unconscious and all kinds of other things all mixed up together. So God is not the same to any one of us either. Although there may be a general sort of archetype for God, it's not going to be the same for any one of us. And that's part of what we tap into. That image of God is what we tap into when we are still. The idea that uh, Moses got is just one example of uh, all kinds of different um, religions and how they came to their own God. But, But it's one example, and so I'm going to use it. That example was that Moses was going to go back and tell the Israelites who sent him. And he said, who shall I say sent me? And God said what, uh, a word that has been translated to actually mean to be that to be. And we translate that as I am that I am. But the actual words are to be that to be. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us in the English archetype and the English language, but what we understand there is that it is some form of beingness that is what it is, period. And we've decided what that is, and we've put God in all kinds of boxes, and we've said, okay, this is God, no, this is God, no, this is God, and sometimes we've had wars over that. But the reality is that what, what it's been defined as in, in, in scriptures, and not just the Christian scriptures, but also in other scriptures, is that it's a sense of beingness. And what Jesus said when he said, you are gods, was that that sense of beingness is also within us. So when, when we hear the words, be still and know that I'm God, what we're hearing is, be in your stillness, and your stillness informs you of who you are. It informs you of the godness or the divinity that is within you. But it also informs us of all kinds of other things. It also informs us of our shadow material. It also informs us of the kinds of things we think and all the voices, all the committees, all the other things in our heads. We can hear those from the stillness. They just don't impact the stillness because they aren't valid. The stillness and what is in it is valid. And that's the place where we get to that the Buddhists talk about is that non-judgmental detached state where we're in the stillness instead of being in the committee and the voices from the external world. See, we can get into the voices that are in the external world real easily by just making them matter more than anything else. They matter to us because we fear that if we're not paying attention, something bad's going to happen. If I'm not paying attention while my boss is talking, then I'm, not, I'm going to miss something important and therefore I'm going to get in real big trouble and I'm going to mess this project up or whatever. And that we, so we say to ourselves, well, I can't be present with myself when the boss is talking. That's not true. We can do both at the same time. 
we can be present with ourselves and also hear the balls. As a matter of fact, when we're present with ourselves, when we are in that stillness that's down inside of us, we can hear the balls a whole lot better. We can hear the subtle nuances. We can see the body language. We're listening in a way we haven't listened before because we're still, we're inside of ourselves, and that stillness has a safety to it, a kind of sense that if I'm here, nothing can ever harm me in this place. And that really is, in my opinion, the more, more true than all the fears we have that we're going to get in trouble or we're going to be harmed or somebody's going to find out or somebody's going to know or you know, they're going to see some dark spot on us and they're going to hate us for it or whatever. All those things are how we've lived. We've lived from the external locus of control, as we call it in mental health, that says those people out there have say-so about me and I have to respond to them to keep myself safe from harm. But the real deal is the stillness is all there is. All this other stuff that we've put on top of it is just stuff we've put on top of it. It has no more validity than that which we give it. And so being in the stillness as a daily pattern of existence, as a daily way of living our lives, is tapping into that place inside of us that is more true than anything else we're looking at. And it doesn't just happen in meditation. It happens as we walk through our lives. Now, does that take some um, focus? Yeah, it does. It takes some focus for us to be able to be present with both ourselves and listening to the world. The thing is that we tend to think that that can't happen because we believe that to be present with ourselves is to be absent from the world and to be present with the world is to be absent from ourselves. But that's not really true. That's that black and white thinking. That's that duality thinking that says there's an either and there's an or and I can't do both. But the truth is as I'm walking through my day, I can tune in. Pay attention. And the more I practice doing that, being present with myself, looking out of my own eyes at the world instead of letting the world's eyes be the thing that I try to look through at myself, and I begin to experience life on a whole other level. Now, I don't know about the weather everywhere else in in the United States, but today in Alabama it's a beautiful day. And um, the spring... Spring is sprouting everywhere, and the wind is blowing, and it's cool. And when you wake up to a dawn like that or walk out in that kind of weather, it sort of heightens your senses. It makes you sort of wake up to that stillness. You automatically go inside yourself for just a second. And we get, at that very moment, a little glimmer of the stillness. And then we leave it because it's time to go to work or it's time to get busy doing something. And we think that we can't be in the stillness while we're busy doing something. But, of course, we can. We can be in the stillness all the time. And that is how we'll know we are God. And God will be what is presented to us in that stillness. God will not be what has been presented to us in the external. God will be what is presented to us, what is informing us of itself, as we're sitting in the stillness. And I don't mean sitting, I mean being in the stillness. So I'll correct myself there. So if, if that stillness informs us of the divine, it also informs us of all the things that, that keep us from recognizing the divine. Like I said, the committee, the voices. What we do with that is important. Oftentimes when we come to some nugget of something about ourselves that might not be something that we think other people would like about us, then we tend to 
reject it ourselves. We tend to judge it. So if I come on some secret part of me that has not really told the truth of me to the world, and I think if the world knew that thing about me, then I, then I, that they might reject me, then I might reject it. All right? So I'm going to put it away into my shadow. And one day when I'm in my stillness, it's going to appear again. It's going to become evident to me that that, that thing that I think other people don't like about me is there. But from the stillness, I don't judge it. Because from the stillness, I am complete. From the stillness, I'm already complete. There's no division. There's no split. I hear that other voice. I hear it saying what I've done. Maybe I've done some things I regret out of that um, secret inside of me. But I don't necessarily have to judge it. I might even develop some compassion for it because I might begin to understand that, well, I did that because I was blind or I did that because I was responding out of um, the busy, the, the image of myself that I try to portray, or I did that because that's what my mother or my father taught me to do. Well, lots of because is out there. Okay, so I did that because that happened. And therefore, I can say, okay, I'm compassionate for myself in that regard. And I understand why I did that. Does that make it go away? Probably not. Does that mean I'll never do it again? I don't know. We'll see. But I guess what it mostly means is that I'm being able to see it for what it is instead of pretending and pushing it away, judging it, and sending it back into the unconscious. So I become more conscious of what I'm up to. I become more conscious of my own games. I become more conscious of the, of the things that are unresolved in me, maybe unresolved anger, maybe unresolved guilt, um, maybe unresolved peace also. That's a possibility. Um, but I become aware of not, what's not really resolved in there. And I can get all afraid when I find that in there. And I can go, oh, gosh, I haven't resolved that yet. That means I'm not perfect yet. Or, or oh, my gosh, that means I'm a terrible person or whatever. That is me interpreting. That is me judging. That is me deciding what that means. Instead of just being in the stillness, being complete in the stillness, and looking at it and hearing it and being compassionate for it. Like I would a little child. That idea that we can present ourselves with really funky little pieces of material <laughs> that may be even dysfunctional that are actually kind of childlike, childish. And if a child walked in the room and said, well, I just did so-and-so and so-and-so, whatever it is that we think of our, that noodle of something we don't like about ourselves, we might not reject that child for it, especially if we like children. If we don't like children, well, that might be a bad analogy for you. But if you like children, you're probably not going to reject that child when he comes in and says, you know, sometimes I lie. Sometimes I cover things up. Sometimes I don't get my work done on time. Sometimes I'm... I'm not all that I crack myself up to be. You would probably take that kid in your arms and say, well, gosh, that was brave of you to admit that, recognize it, and um, I love you anyway. And that's, that's how we begin to show compassion for ourselves and integrate all the various parts of ourselves. So that stillness is very, very important in the integration process. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes with a break. This is Andrea Matthews. This is Authentic Living. 
awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. 
472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Welcome back. This is our final segment of Authentic Living today, and we've been talking about the notion of being still to know that we are God. You know, the question that remains still out there is, what if it's really true that I am divine? What if it's really true that if I could be in my stillness at all times, I could be that piece, that part of me that is stillness would come to flood all the other aspects of me and the committee would be silenced and I would begin to live myself from that stillness, from that place, that centered place inside of me where I know who I am and I know I'm divine. What would that be like? Well, in part, we can't even imagine that because our world, uh, in large part, tells us that if, we're, if we say that we're divine, then we have a Messiah complex and we're really sick people and, you know, we're blasphemous on top of that. But, but the truth is that if I believe that I am divine, how does that change my life? What does that do? If I have a place inside of me that I know I can go to where I, I know I'm divine, then that knowledge, when I get to that place of peace, that place of stillness, it informs me that I am divine, that I can stay with that place. And what will happen? Well, what Jesus said, and uh, Jesus is just one example of a person who lived fully aware of his divine nature, but, or at least that's the metaphysical opinion, um, from this particular uh, host. But if that's true, then Jesus said to us, greater things than I do will you do. Because he, he was going on. He was dying, and he knew it. He said, because I go away, greater things than I do will you do. Now, what did he do? Well, he raised people from the dead. He healed the sick. He talked about, told us that we are gods. So there's a whole lot that he did, and we ask ourselves, well, can I raise people from the dead? Well, you know, we do that every day in our hospitals <laughs> and in, in ambulances all over the world. Sometimes we do it even without an ambulance with good CPR. So, yes, we can raise people from the dead. Can we heal the sick? Yes, we heal the sick every day. But we say, well, no, I do that through medicine, and I do that through CPR, and I do that through these things. Why does that have to not be divine? We, we assume that because it's technical, because it's got a method, then it's not divine. But again, that's our dualistic thinking. That's the black and white. It says, if it's done by man, it can't be done by God. And if it's done by God, it can't be done by man. And what I'm saying today speaking to you as a metaphys- metaphysician, not as a therapist, is that if it's true that I am divine, then yes, I can do all those things. Will I do all those things? Well, in part, we don't do that because we all have a collective energy as well as our personal energy. Okay? There's a whole lot going on in the collective that's a pattern of thought, a pattern of energy that has to do with how we all um, see ourselves, see our world, how the world actually is, is at this moment. And so we don't always access the energy that says we can be divine. 
not only because we we don't choose it, but also because the collective of us blocks it. So we have the individual energy that is ourself that might be choosing to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna access my stillness. But often we still have the collective energy. What will happen? As a metaphysician, again, I'm speaking, what will happen is over time, more and more of us will begin to be present with ourselves and live in that stillness where we know we are divine. And the more of us who do that, the more we're creating the potential for all of us to do that. You know the old theory about the hundredth monkey and the grapefruit on the beach? Well, one monkey came out there and saw it, and and then they dropped grapefruits on another beach, and uh, more monkeys came out there and saw it, and then... They dropped grapefruits on another beach on another island, and more monkeys came out there and got it. And the whole idea was that um, there was an energy that was taking place. And these on these different islands, the monkeys were doing the same thing, only they didn't know each other. So there was a, an energy that was taking place. That's the theory behind it. And if that theory is true, then what happens as each one of us begins to be present with ourselves, we help we that energy goes out into the world and each of us affects other, our energy affects other people and other people begin to see it and it just happens. It happens as almost a critical mass, an alchemical change and people begin to know themselves as divine. They begin to experience that stillness within that helps them know they are divine. So, you know, one day it is possible that we'll all be living in that stillness, that place where we understand ourselves to be divine. Now, does that mean God is any less God because we are also divine? No, it doesn't mean that. That's from a dualistic frame of reference that says if God is God, then he cannot be uh, uh, joined with man. And if man is man, then he cannot be joined with God. And again, I'm using the term God because it's easy to say, but that word means different things to different people. And what you're going to get when you go inside of yourself to, to be present with that stillness inside yourself is you're going to be informed about the God that you understand. Okay? It's, going to be, it's going to be something very personal for you that you can get with. Is our image of God always correct? Absolutely not. That's one of the things I think that Job got from his trials. And you know, If you've ever read the book of Job, you know that he was sorely t- t- tried with uh, the loss of sons and sheep and cattle and the only person he got to keep with his wife, and she was really nagging at him, so he, I'm, I'm imagining he was wishing that she would go away. But he was, you know, he was because he was tested, he questioned God, and he wanted to understand why this was happening because he thought he was a good person, and he didn't understand why God would let bad things happen to good people. Ultimately, what he comes to is that his image of God has been real distorted around the idea that God was just big, and he could do anything he wanted to do, and... You know, that's just the way it was, and that God was judgmental and distant and punitive. And then he became to have a new image of God. He came to understand God in a whole new light. And that's often what we get when we go through trials is because we get closer to that stillness inside of us. We find another God because it's been, we've been informed now differently from that stillness of who that is for us. Well, I would challenge each of you to be with yourselves in stillness as you walk through your days and see what happens. This is Andrea Matthews, and this has been Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Tune in again next week. We're talking with Loretta LaRoche about lightening up. And just remember, 
Should you choose to accept it, your job is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.